You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. Good morning. Wow, thanks. Thanks, Eddie. Uh, My name is Jessie. Welcome this morning. Uh, Today we are doing the third and final day in the three-part series on Abide, rooted in John 15. It's about grapes, guys. Week one, we talked about the word abide and what it means for us as believers who get to abide in the good branch. We saw that God's intention for his people was always to abide with him. We saw in Genesis that God's original plan was for us to live with him in the garden and that even after the fall, he continued to live and walk with his people. Last week, we read a passage from Revelation 21 that showed this promise again of walking with the good gardener and that we will get to be with him in eternity in a place without sorrow or pain or evil. We spent more time talking about what it means for us to personally abide and that we are already cleaned by Jesus's words, but that those who believe in him as Lord, he invites into a deeper abiding relationship with him. And that there are things that we can do to strengthen that relationship, not because they save us, because we want to be fruitful and live closer to the good gardener who takes care of us and sustains us. We spent some time talking about a few spiritual disciplines that are a good jumping off place for a closer relationship. I was really happy this week to receive a couple of texts from people who had started trying silence and realized how hard it actually is. Growth is never easy and the practice of letting go is not an easy one. I love John the Baptist's words, I must decrease he must increase. Silence, fasting, Sabbath, surrender, all these things are good for our souls and strengthen our abiding relationship, but they do not save us. What I want to highlight today is that when we abide on the vine, we are not just abiding alone. We are abiding with the branch, but we're also abiding with all the other clusters of grapes hanging around us. Us abiding together helps us grow in our relationship with God because we remind each other of who we are in Christ, but also because we collectively and individually bring God's greater message of truth and hope to our wider contexts. And the best news of all here is that no part of this task hinges on you individually or your personal ability to do so. Our job is to surrender to the one who can take care of it all. And that's a pretty big job in in itself. Here at Hub City, our mission is Jesus Restore Albany. Last month, I talked about this word restore and what that looks like for us as Christ followers. That to restore means to be brought back to something's original purpose. God's original purpose for his creation was one of an abiding, loving, peaceful community with him and with each other. This morning, I'm going to pray a prayer from Pete Gregg. Jesus, 
You are the questioner who provokes me to delve deeper into the mystery of who you are, who I am, and the life we share together. I invite you to speak, to ask, to search my heart, and shape my life. Amen. So if restoration looks like bringing something back to its original and intended purpose, it feels like to look at what this looks like for community, we need to look at the creation story. And let's look at what God's original purpose for this world was meant to be. So let's look at a couple of passages in Genesis. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was at without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the earth, and the face of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then 126, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then I'm gonna mix it up a little bit and throw in a New Testament passage, John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. What do you notice about these three passages? I notice from the very first verse of the Bible that we have two proper nouns here. We have God and the Spirit of God. So we know that there are two beings at the beginning of the world. Then in John, it says that Jesus, or the Word, was also there at the beginning of creation with God. So there are three beings at the beginning of creation. This is supported by Genesis 26, when the plural noun pronoun is used three times. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, I'm not going to go into depth on Trinitarian language, but here at Sahab City, we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We believe that there are three separate entities, yet all in one. If you have any questions or concerns about that, Matt is back there. <laughs> My point is that from the very beginning of time, community existed. God is a community wrapped up in this beautifully mysterious package, and this is such a good example to us. God in three parts is a complete community in itself, but he in his infinite grace has made us in his image to glorify him. He gave us the opportunity here on earth to create community amongst each other so that we can be a window into this true and complete community. Our community with God and our community with each other are meant as an arrow for everyone around us, pointing to the true and complete community of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In Genesis 2.18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And then in Genesis 25, 2.25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. 
So up to this creation of man and woman, we, most of us are probably familiar with the creation story. It's God made something and it was good. And then he made something else and it was good. And then he made something else and it was good. And then suddenly we have this and it was not good. And this discord in the middle of this is meant to make us uncomfortable. God made man and man was alone and that was not good. This is not meant for us to think that God's design was not perfect. It's meant to make us feel and highlight the fact that being alone was not good. That God's intended purpose for this world was one where we were meant to live in community. And then in verse 25, it says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So we also have a hint as to what this community was supposed to look like. One where the community members were naked and not ashamed. Last week, I talked about this confidence that we gain when we are on the vine, that the confidence comes from abiding and not from our own abilities or our own positive regard for ourselves, but a confidence in who God is that he is true in all the definitions of the world, word, that he is capable of taking care of us, that he is good and that he loves us. And because of that confidence, we can be spiritually and emotionally naked and unashamed. I'm going to take a minute and define the word vulnerable. The dictionary says it means to be susceptible to physical or emotional attack or harm or of a person in need of special care, support, or protection because of age, disability, or risk of abuse or neglect. Adam and Eve here in the garden were the epitome of vulnerable. But instead of this being a scary thing, they were unashamed. I find so much hope in this picture. And they existed this way in the community with God, but also with each other. They were able to exist in this place of vulnerability because of their confidence in who God was. They were abiding, dwelling, living in a place of complete acknowledgement of their own lack. They knew who made them. They knew who made all the things they ate and where they lived, and they knew that God would take care of them. God did not reject them or make them to feel fear or threat or insecurity. Imagine what that would feel like for a second, because all of those things are still true for you today. We can be vulnerable because we are confident in God, not in our own works, but in the one who is sufficient. And this type of confidence is very different than what we think of in the world. This confidence requires humility and trust and an acknowledgement that you alone are not sufficient, that you alone are not able to claim anything is coming from you, but instead that every good thing comes from above. Your weakness is made perfect in Christ, and that's what you can have confidence in. It's knowing that you've come to the end of yourself, but also knowing deep within your soul that when you come to the end of yourself, you will find God there waiting to sustain you. And when you have this kind of confidence, you are able to be vulnerable because you're not trying to hide anything. You know you're insufficient and weak, 
but that you are made strong through Christ who strengthens you. And the beauty about abiding in this truth with a group of fellow believers is that nobody's trying to hide that from each other. You all know that you are weak and insufficient and that you all are human, but you are sustained by the one who is not. And when you live this way, you can confess to each other your sins and are able to lovingly tell a brother or sister if they said something that hurt them and be able to reconcile afterwards. When we are abiding with God, knowing our limits and his grace and sufficiency, this is great all on its own. But our abiding on the vine is not just for our personal relationship with God. It's because he wants us to have joy and also to point that joy to others. In verse 12 of John 15, Jesus switches all this personal abiding to move beyond the individual. John 15, 12 through 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. In Matthew, Jesus says that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. And here in John, he asks us to love one another the way he has loved us. I talked a little bit last week about this idea of loving another as myself is hard because I don't always give myself the grace that I would give to others. But here, this just brings it to a whole new level. Not only am I supposed to love others like I love myself, I have to love them the way Jesus loved them. Jesus came down from a place without pain or brokenness, put on the easily broken flesh, and then conquered pain and brokenness and death by dying for us. But he also loved the outcasts, sat with the sinners, played with children, healed wounds, called out sin, brought life. How am I ever going to do all of that on my own? The simple answer is, I'm not. One, this passage says that we are Jesus' friends, and with that comes supernatural knowledge and provision. When we abide on the vine, we are provided for with whatever we ask in God's name. And this does not mean I can ask for a pony, and if I pray hard enough, God will give it to me. It means that over time, I begin to want what God wants. And so when I ask for something that is in accordance with his will, then I get it. It comes from knowing his heart because of my deep friendship with him. Twice in John 15, Jesus says he'll take care of his disciples who are abiding with him. In verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And then also in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. He tells us himself that he will take care of us and we can walk around this world vulnerable, 
knowing that we have our own limits, but that he does not, but he can and will care for us. We saw from this creation story that we get to be in community with God, but we also get to be in community with each other. Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and sides were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What would it look like for us to live in community this way? When I read through these verses, I am aware of a deep sense of longing, like this is what I want. I want this type of living where everyone is providing for each other and caring for each other, but I'm also aware of this like skepticism where I'm like, well, that was great in Bible times because the community was different and the context was different and it was just a more community-based world. But is it? Is it possible to live this way now? And what would it take? Verse 42, they devoted themselves to teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. This sounds like some abiding practices to me. They were spending time praying and studying the word. They were talking amongst each other and wrestling with scripture, and they were growing in their understanding of the word. But do you see how they aren't doing this alone? We need each other to point each other towards Christ, to remind each other of the past when we got lost in the weeds, to remind each other of who we are in Christ. This community living is dwelling, abiding with one another. It's listening to each other speak. It's loving the outcasts, sitting with sinners, eating with people playing with children, healing wounds, calling out sin. It's laying down our lives for our friends like Jesus did. And it's so hard that we can't do it on our own. Community is super messy and it's super hard. But we can do it as Christ followers because we have a good God that we are collectively abiding in. We can love each other because he first loved us. We can die to our own pride because he first humbled himself on the cross. And this is God's original intended purpose for us as believers. This is what the church was designed to be, and this is what we get to participate in restoring the church to. But how? Because God created us to live in community, we as people are inherently drawn toward community. A lot of communities care for each other well, bring meals to each other or watch each other's kids or bring a cup of sugar to their neighbors. But the Acts 242 community is different from any other community because of their abiding. They are praying together, sitting under the word together, believing together. So when a believer is in need, we bring the love of Christ with our meal. We bring hope with our presence. 
1 John 1, 7 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. This community is not a result of our relationships with each other. It's a result of our abiding with God on the vine. These relationships are an outpouring of the abiding. Acts 2.45 says, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. What strikes me about this verse is in order for people to sell their possessions and belongings in order for proceeds to be distributed, someone had to be vulnerable enough to tell their community that they had a need. Someone had to humble themselves to their neighbors and say, I can't make rent this week, or I'm too tired to make dinner tonight. Can I come over? Someone had to lay down their pride or insecurities and let their community show them the love of God by bringing the tangible things, but also by bringing the good news that no matter what is happening in their life, that their place in the vine is not shaken, that the gardener is nearby taking care of them, and loves them deeply, and their community was abiding deeply enough that they knew what to sell and who to distribute it to. This early church picture is possible today because it wasn't a result of the historical context. It was a result of abiding in the vine that has not changed. And this presence on the vine is individual and communal. What would it look like for you to be so anchored in Christ that you saw your neighbors the way Jesus sees them? What if you didn't react to a situation out of your own fear of rejection or your own pride or insecurity and were instead able to react from your place on the branch and it was Jesus's love and acceptance coming out of your mouth and actions instead? Abide in the vine and let the Spirit do his work because that's the only way we can do this. Apart from him, you can do nothing. Last week, we pulled up a picture of a grapevine. Here's that picture again. What do you notice? This is not a single fruit producing vine. This is not one branch. There is not one single grape for each vine. There is one vine with many branches. Even the fruit on this vine comes in a cluster. God didn't use the example of a single apple growing on a tree. This image is so communal at its very core. We are not on this vine alone and we need each other. In Proverbs 27, it says, we are iron sharpening iron. Sometimes you're going to be the iron that needs sharpening, and sometimes you're going to be the one in need of sharpening. But when we live in this type of vulnerable community, when the purpose is to love God and want love one another, we can humble ourselves both before, before both and accept the sharpening as the loving act of growth that it is and then we can do the same for others. Andrew Peterson has a line on a song that says, this life is not long, but it's hard. This world comes with suffering, it comes with pain. We as believers have the hope of knowing that this present fallen world is not all there is. 
And I don't know about you, but sometimes it's so hard for me to believe. Sometimes I get so lost in the heaviness and the darkness that I need my community to grab my hand and drag me back to the light, sometimes kicking and screaming, to remind me of who I belong to and to help me find my way. And that is such a beautiful gift that we have. When we find peace in the suffering and don't hide the suffering from each other, we bring that peace and hope to others. It's not about hiding the pain and putting on a joyful facade. That's deception. And vulnerability is the antidote. And here's the crazy thing about community. I can listen to your story of suffering and the way God worked through your life, and I can be positively impacted by that. We are created to love story. And this is why we share our testimonies with each other. My redemption story does not belong to just me. It belongs to all of us because we are all part of the greater redemption story. Beyond just needing community for our own growth and healing, community as an entity is meant to be a wider blessing to our greater community, like our city. My personal abiding strengthens my relationship with God, which then strengthens my relationship with my church community. And then when our church community are strengthened and growing on this vine, then we get to use that to bless our broader context. We get to be a part of this redemption restoration project that he's doing. Verse 17 says, these things I command you, so that you will love one another. We are here in this broken, fallen world, but we are not alone. We have the creator of the world with us always to the end of the age, and he gave us each other. He showed us what it's like to be in an abiding community and commissions us to go out and make more abiding communities. Our mission, Jesus Restore Albany, can be translated to any of our contexts. Jesus Restore My Home, Jesus Restore My Workplace, Jesus Restore My School. This is a prayer we say here. Jesus Restore as an act of surrender, because we cannot restore. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We are made to abide in community with the God of the universe, and he wants us to abide with him. He wanted it so bad that when we kept turning our backs on him, he came to us. He wants us firmly rooted in him so that we can have his joy completely, so that we can abide in his love. <clears throat>